Hi, Honeymooners. Natasha and I are coming to a city near you. And we'd love you to come see us and support us doing live stand-up comedy. As for me, I'm going to be going to the Comedy Club on State in Madison this very weekend for five shows. I love that club. I'd love to see you there. I'll also be at the Troubadour for the Netflix is a Joke Festival on May the 12th. That's just one night, one show, just me. But Natasha and I are going to be doing a live Endless Honeymoon podcast taping for the Netflix is a Joke Festival on the 4th of May. Then I'm going to the Punchline in Philadelphia. That's in July. Would love to see you there. I'm going to be going to the Punchline in Sacramento in August. And I'll be going to the DC Improv uh, the weekend before the election, before we figure out what hell we hath wrought. Come see me at any of those dates. Oh, yeah, one more. I'll be at the Bell House in New York on July the 11th. I'd love to see you there, New York City. Natasha, you got anything? Why don't you come see me in Brea? If you live in Orange County, I think that's Orange County. I don't even know, but come to Brea. I'll be there in April. I'll also be at the Chicago Improv in April. And if you can't see me in Chicago, why don't you come to Tempe in May? Tempe, Arizona. I'll also be in Boston, but that's not till October. I think I might take the summer off. Go to NatashaLegero.com. Or MosheCasher.com. And get some tickets. To see the both of us. And also make sure that you come to our Patreon-supported Dinner party this Sunday. That is on St. Patrick's Day. What else are you doing? It is a dumb holiday. I'm sorry. If you are not yet a member of the tier that gets you into the dinner parties, go ahead and upgrade. Upgrade that. You could downgrade afterwards. I mean, we don't have real rules. Order your corned beef and cabbage from the local pub. DoorDash that shit to your house. Yep. Log on. 6 p.m. Come mess with us. It's a really great way. Pacific. To connect to the community of the Endless Honeymoon Podcast and also to connect to your lovely hosts. Today's episode of the Endless Honeymoon Podcast is brought to you by ARB four-wheel drive accessories. The ARB Deluxe Bumper. Unlike most brush guards and bumpers. Okay, most What? What? Model number. That's like what Part number. Three four six two zero three zero. That's Moshe's Amazon wish list for a Chevrolet HD twenty five hundred. They're never going to give you one f- through this podcast. Maybe a discount code. That's gross. What you're trying to get like a free bumper from our podcast? I'm trying to get a discount code. I just want a little bit of money off. Speaking of money, we had a we had a we had a a real ethical. We've been in the midst of an ethical dilemma today about what to do with money. We uh, today was uh, it's Saturday. And we went to the 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 fairy fair. It was like a Ren fair for toddlers. That's right at the uh, at the Pasadena Waldorf School. And if you don't know what Waldorf School is, it's basically if you take a bunch of kids, chop them up, add walnuts, mayonnaise, apple chunks, you get yourself a Waldorf School. No, it's like a it's a weird kind of like mega hippie fairy Euro started by some German man named Waldorf. Rudolf Steiner. Is that who started it? I think. Who's Waldorf? I don't know. Uh, well, anyway. I haven't studied it most. It's just kind of like um, this kind of hippie school where they don't even teach the kids to read until they're like 14. <laughs> like seven. Uh, yeah, or something. I think the point is no technology. No technology. They, no, they, they do like Pro wooden nature. toys. They take them out in nature. It's basically all leaning towards imagination and wonder, right? But it does have some weird parts too, which is like... They have this very specific form of German dance that they teach all the kids. I'm not kidding. It's like a very specific to that school. No one's ever heard of it. Yeah. Every Waldorf school, they do this like movement play. 
And then you're not allowed to watch movies. Like you're, the family isn't either. My friend said her 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 fr- she knows someone who goes there whose kid doesn't watch TV shows and just polishes wood for fun. <laughs> we heard another story where a kid had watched a movie over the weekend and came to class and was like, I don't know what it was, but he's just like, Incredibles two was so good, and the whole family got in trouble. They were like, we've heard that the child has been watching Incredibles too. Well, I also heard that it's not that strict and I might send my child there. So let's not make fun of it. anymore. Well, OK, so here's our dilemma. First of all, I'm looking at this thing and it is. I went to public school my entire life. Me I went too. to I went to Oakland Public School. You went to Rockford Public School. They're pretty similar. And well, it, I went to Catholic school for my child. Oh, did you? I, I to me, public school. While the ethically correct thing for a society to do to send everybody to public school, and the more the more uh, people that send their kids to private schools, the less money the public schools have. So the more sort of ghettoized and and disenfranchised the public school becomes. So it's actually this like this like classic dilemma. Like you have enough to help your child not. Uh, get sucked down by the system and by doing that you're ensuring that everybody underneath you is going to get sucked down by the system but if everybody went to public school then every public schools would be awesome totally funded and everybody would be thriving but we live in a situation where there are no ethical choices in capitalism and here we are but for me i was raised super poor and we couldn't afford there was not an option and i went to public school my entire life and every second of every moment, every single day I was in public school was torture. Mm-hmm. You would have been great in that little fairyland. Yeah, man. They have they have like their high school in, in a forest and like a wooden schoolhouse. And they're like just encouraged to use their imaginations. And if you don't feel like working on science today, you work on something else. But yeah. you still round it all out. It's There are weird parts You would have loved it. I would, well, I, I just... The idea... That no, you would have taken drugs and been like, "Fuck you." No, maybe, maybe. But the idea that I could, instead of eight hours a day of torture, staring at the clock, waiting for the bell to ring so that I could get the fuck out of there, that school could be an experience for my kid that was like enriching, enriching, and filled with like Edif- whimsy, edifying. Yeah. Although we did see some of the high school seniors, and they definitely looked like a little bit witchy. <laughs> a little bit. They didn't look like I would say the most uh, well, it socially wasn't savvy. Fair, so maybe they were in costume. It could be, but there was a lot of high waisted jeans, a lot of um, dangling um, chain earrings connecting to the nose ring type of a vibe. So public, private school. What do you guys think? What's your? Uh, what do you think? I think that I went to public school. I was told I wasn't an artist. I was told I wasn't a writer. Um, I was not encouraged really in any way. I hated it as you did. You had a lot of like people trying to womp you. What do you mean? Your art school teacher said maybe art isn't for you. Then you were going to move to New York and what did, didn't your mom say? Don't move. What was it? Oh, she was just afraid for me. She said, don't move to New York. Then you got to New York and what was this conversation you had with your agent? Tell that story. Okay. So I, I almost had this agent and... I went back for my third callback. You were like desperate, right? I wasn't desperate. I was like, I knew I needed an agent, you know? You weren't desperate? Maybe a little. I was very focused on becoming an actor. And? And so I finally had my third audition. He's like, okay, I think this is going to be great. And then all the, it was like on, you know, in Times Square in some office building and all the agents came out and it was like in a boardroom and I like, I cried. It was amazing. And then he's like, okay, call me at 3 (laughs) p.m. So I called him at 3 p.m. from a payphone. Was it raining? At Hunter College. No, it wasn't raining. It was on my payphone. And then he was like, hi, Natasha. It's Al Flanagan, agent. 
I've had a big talk with all my colleagues and we've decided that you're too short to be an actress. <laughs> <laughs> and so then I collapsed. In the payphone? On the streets of like, you know, on East 72nd Street. I collapsed and started heaving, sobbing. In a w- and ironically, when you collapse, you're even shorter. So <laughs> that could have been your big moment, but no. But you were then, sobbing on the streets of New York? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's Because so I was like, I just couldn't believe it. And then I also thought he knew. Right. Because I had finally gotten a chance to like meet someone in the industry because I didn't know anybody, you know, and then the response was that. The, spo- the response, <laughs> that's such an awful response because the response wasn't, we've talked and we've decided not to work with you. The response was, we've talked and we've decided there's no future in this for you. For you. And Give I, up. And I think he for, probably. And you can't do anything about it. I know. You can't go to tall classes. It wasn't like, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't something like you could, your attitude needs to change. Right. Or maybe drop 15 pounds. Something least, something nice like that. Well, something ta- something achievable if right. you wanted. But Be yeah. taller. <laughs> But anyway, yeah, I guess that that's a string of people telling me not to do something and I still did it. So maybe it doesn't really matter where your kid goes to school. No, but you have an unusual amount of tenacity for a person. This was what How do I was, you teach tenacity? I don't know. Probably maybe it don't is. don't put him in a private school. Right. Maybe it is through hardship. I mean, this is what I was, this is what I was thinking today, like pondering this, this idea. Like, do, do, we, do, do we send our kid to this school that is expensive and is not guaranteed but certainly puts a higher percentage on the fact that they will become um interesting imaginative interesting unusual thinkers and not fall into a lot of the pitfalls of public school which can be you know the parent teacher ratio or the teacher student ratio is like one to 35 versus one to six so kids can really fall in the cracks they can fall in with a bad crew well yeah that's that's the problem with public school generally and i support the public school system i mean my parents were all public school teachers too you know like i come from like a super long line of 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 teachers my grandmother was an oakland public school teacher my my mother was a san francisco public school teacher and my, my, then she went on and taught at uh, Laney College, which is a community college in Oakland, which is where I went. But I also almost got completely lost in the system. Like, it was almost like everywhere I looked, there was a doorway that was like, if you walked through here, you could get lost in the system. Dude, I dropped out of eighth grade. I stopped going in the middle of the year. I don't think anyone noticed. They noticed when... I, my mom noticed when I got my grade point average, and it was a 0.17. She was like, how did this happen? It was all Fs and one F minus. Oh my god! And uh, and it was like, how'd this happen? It's like, well, I just haven't been in class in six months, and that and nobody noticed. Nobody called. Nobody said anything. I was just like smoking weed in the park, Bart parking lot across the street for six months, and then used to be so cool. I was cool, man. I mean, look, all those experiences made me interesting. It wasn't school. It was being in a school that was so fucked up that I was allowed to just become a fucking animal. But most of the kids that I hung out with back then, well, not most of them, but a lot of the kids I hung out with back then went to jail, went to prison or dead. And it's like, okay, cool. I made it out. But it doesn't really speak highly of the opportunities I was given. And by the way, this Waldorf thing felt like all of those things would be out the window. I was thinking about what are the terrible things that could happen to you in a public school or even in like a, a, a more mainstream private school. Bullying. Um, drugs. Uh, drugs. I think drugs are everywhere. Waldorf Waldorf probably encourage. I think you graduate. They give you ayahuasca at the <laughs> end of it. But like bullying, um, like uh, being sort of 
tortured by the social system, um, being tortured by the education system, being tortured by uh, the boringness and by the testing system, it felt like there somehow they would sidestep most of those pitfalls. Hmm. I don't know. It's a real ethical dilemma because it's like a public school system is the mark of an of a of an enlightened egalitarian society. That that's how it's supposed to be. Is that all children, regardless of economic or, or cultural um, advantage, should be at an equal playing field when it comes to education? Unfortunately, it's not really true. And like I look at myself and I go, oh well, I'm really intelligent, and and I went to Oakland Public Schools in probably the worst era of its history. It's a lot. I think it's a lot better now, but. And I'm like, well, I came out intelligent. Well, first of all, I flunked out of junior high school. And second of all, I everybody in my family was a teacher. So And I, you you were on drugs when well, you were too. starting 13. When I was, at, yeah, 13 is when I found, 12 was when I found drugs for the first time. So it's like, I think that even though I had all these hardships in public school, I did still come out, you know, intelligent and educated. But it's like, that's a myth. But because you had you having a parents as exactly educators is, is exactly like, I came home and I had teachers at home telling me read this book do this learn about this stuff uh, like not most kids don't have that opportunity they're in public school like we might have been poor but we were but we were rich in knowledge you know and so then what do you do what are you supposed to do you're supposed to send your kid to a school where you know it's like a kind of conveyor belt that's the problem with public school is that even at its best, it's still a kind of like human conveyor belt where you're like, you're just traveling down the conveyor belt, getting widgets of information so that you can test well, so that you can go to a high school, get a good SAT score, and hopefully go to a good college. As opposed to... And meet some boys you want to like give blowjobs to. Hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. What were you going to ask me? Well, I mean, I think the thing that is very intriguing to me about Waldorf is it's not just like what kind of school is your child going to. It's like what kind of school do we need for these times? Because these are very weird changing times. For sure. And a Waldorf school is anti-tech or very low technology. So it's like, what kind of child are you creating in a world where our, our kids, like in 10 years, who knows what's going to be possible? So an anti-tech choice for the next 17 years or however long, 12 years, would be very interesting. It'll at least create an unusual child. and so Or so would they be extremely out of touch? But they might... Kids right now who are being preserved with no tech, it might be like a really special thing. Well, the, 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 but it, it would take a large commitment from the family, right? But it's like the family would have to do it too. There's just so many people in the world, and so many of them are so boring that anything that would give you, an, I'm thinking like this. Tech definitely makes you more boring. It just makes you more of a uh, assimilated bot. Like we were at our gymnastics class with a child yesterday, and the teacher said that kids. Oh, they, they were saying that that what they look for in because we're, our kid is in the like the low the the youngest class and we can always see the older gym coaches looking over at the babies and i was like are they like scouting and he said yeah and, and i said what are they looking They're for scouting babies they are that's how gymnastics works oh my god they start at the beginning i said well what are they looking for what what do you say grip strength because now the kids don't have um grip strength anymore because they're all on their ipads he said that across the world grip strength in children is diminishing because people aren't you know using tactile uh you know they're not hanging from from jungle gyms they're shooting people in the face on Fortnite. but it's hard man because we work in the entertainment industry how are we going to tell our kid like oh we don't watch movies in this house we write on them you know it's like it's a it's an inherent hypocrisy but i and by the way waldorf is kind of there are some parts that are kind of like a little culty like they don't do blended fabrics they do wood well, that's only that's absurd they do wood only they do that weird movement thing 
Listen, it is extremely obvious that there should be no one philosophy of anything, to be I, honest. I don't like, you know what I don't like? I realize this about myself, uh, that I don't like doing things, engaging in actions without any knowledge of why I'm doing them. You know what I'm saying? Like, I have to believe right. in what I'm doing. Why? Like, oh, only cotton for you. I don't believe. Why would why i don't believe in the in or the purity you, of fabric choice or when you go to bikram yoga and then you're not allowed they like shame you if you take a sip of water before right. the third pose which is like 20 minutes into the class right. and then they always call it party time <laughs> and then you get a dirty look if you like drink before party time like that's like i'm like why in AA, i'm gonna be okay if i have a sip of water right now i want one in aa they used to do the, they do this thing at the end of the meeting where they all stand up and they hold hands and they say the prayer, the serenity prayer. And then afterwards, everybody does this this ritual. You're all holding hands and they shake their hands up and down and they go, keep coming back. It works if you work it. So work it because you're worth it. And oh I did God. that for, I would say, a decade in AA. <laughs> and then one day I just realized, I was like, I have no idea why I'm doing that. I don't know what the purpose is. Well, you're I just actually, being a team player. I actually think it's like negative. I don't think it's like... I, there's no way a person comes to AA and the whole situation is happening and then you know they're already scared and bewildered and unsure of what to do they want to get sober but they don't know if this is for them people all get up they hold hands they say a prayer that must creep them out but they're like well I get it it's like a prayer thing people sometimes hold and then all of a sudden they engage in this like rhyme chant like how could that be helpful to anyone they're like oh they they chant in rhyme here well I'm definitely in the right place so I stopped saying it because I was like I don't want to say I don't want to do things I don't want to do things just because people are doing it. And that's a little bit, there's some parts of that Waldorf thing that I, I felt like. Wood toys, do I really think that matters? I do not think that matters. Wood only? Oh, yes. Children love wood. Ah, oh, yes. That, nothing will make a, a unique child more than, than wooden mahogany toys. Well, you have a bit of a point if like plastic wasn't ruining the world. Maybe sure. it's more of a philosophy. I'm down with no more plastic. I just like... We did have a funny moment though, where at the Ren Fair, these two like, these two like, I can't even just. I would describe them as Lord of the Rings elves walked over with like flowing capes and and little um, attachments on their ears to make them pointy, and they were each playing like a uh, an old school like medieval harp with like clanging pieces of wood. They were like ding dang a ding dang ding dang a ding. And they all had glitter on them and like woven things in their hair. And I was, I was like, oh, this is how they call for recess at Waldorf schools. <laughs> they <laughs> don't have a bell. Like. Yeah, it was cute. Okay, let's take a call. Well, wait. Yes. I know you want to take a call. I know you're, you're, you're a slave driver here on this podcast. I'm curious what well, our listeners think. Well, everyone doesn't think. have a kid, so I feel like you know. But this is an ethical dilemma for our age. It's not just about kids. Yeah. It's about society, the society we live in. But anyway, I am curious what people think. That's what I was gonna say. Like, tweet at us, email us. Talk to us on Instagram. What are the ethical no, don't implications? Don't talk to us on Instagram. Why not? I read so I can sift through comments. In the comments. An, e an email's better. No, we're not going to read the fucking email. Let's be real. I'll Com need an email. But yeah, tell us what you think. What are the ethical implications of sending somebody to a private school? But more importantly, did you go to Waldorf school? Did you like it? Did it turn you into an interesting person? Or was it a kind of medieval torture? The one weirdest thing is it's so Eurocentric. Every single book was like, the Dutch milkmaiden. And then the next one's like, Norse yeah. mythology. It was, a, it was very white. And then the roots that they were studying were very white. Yeah, <laughs> it yeah. Like, it was like Norse runes and like... Anyway, if you went to Waldorf school, 
Holler at us. Tell us if we should send our kid to a Waldorf school or if we're just fucking ridiculous Los Angeles hipsters lost in the mire. Want to take a call? Yeah. Okay, we're going to call Lucy in Anaheim. I got high hopes about this one. I like people named Lucy. Well, I hate Anaheim, so. Let's see what happens. Hello? Hey, Lucy. It's Moshe Natasha. How are you? Hi. What's up? <laughs> what What made you contact us? Um. So I have been dating my girlfriend for uh, a little over a year, about uh, about year and six months and it's the first long term relationship I've ever been in and I really love her and care about her um when we first started dating she had a cat and I'm very allergic to cats like if I'm around a cat my throat closes up and my eyes start to swell and I just uh so I've never my whole life I've never been interested in being around cats and when we first started dating she said oh well I'll just let have my her her parents take the cat. So her parents took the cat for a while, but the cat is the cat came like back. Most cats, an asshole. And so the parents, um, were like, we don't want it anymore. So the last six months, the cat has been living with my girlfriend again. And that's really put a, a damper on things. And so she was like, well, I don't want to give my cat up. And if we're going to live together, which we are planning on doing in June, when I graduate from college, um, she was like, I want, I want us to be able to live together. So I'm taking these shots to hopefully make it work. But it's like my fear is one that a, the the shots won't work and then we'll break up. But an even larger question, I guess I've been dealing with is, should I just tell her that I just don't want to live with a cat? Like my whole life I've been allergic to cats, afraid of cats. I've never wanted to be around a cat. And so the idea of living with a cat is very stressful to me. And I feel like, Maybe I'm being selfish, but then at the same time, I'm like, maybe I should just bite the bullet and just do it. You got to kill the cat. Kill the cat? That's your advice. She has to. <laughs> you don't think that would be the easiest crime in history to solve. <laughs> Every argument they've ever had has been about this one thing. And then what? Her girlfriend goes out of town and she's like, I don't know what happened, but somehow Fluffy died. I've definitely fantasized about killing your dog. Right. What, what? That is very rough, but I feel like she should give up her cat. Well, I don't know. This She's is going to make one. her take shots. I'm more curious. I hate cats too. I'm curious about this part of you that is against cats that has nothing to do with your allergy. What is this? What do you mean you're <laughs> afraid of cats? <laughs> they pounce on you. They're weird. <laughs> I just don't like cats. Well, first off, I would say I don't like pets in general. I'm just not a pet person. Like I, I, my, I never had a pet growing up. Uh, I just never have seen the, the appeal of taking care of something that gives nothing back. Like there's no value. Like you, you get no money out of it. You get, you actually spend more money. You might be a psychopath. Yeah, what's the matter with you? <laughs> Are you not aware of the basic contract between pet and owner, which is it's affection that they give back? Yeah, but like that, you have affection with your kid, but your kid eventually grows to be like an actual like uh, member of society that you can like talk to and you can you can work. A pet is just purposely perpetually two years old. But wait, like a pet is a useless thing. But wait, why is (laughs) that? 
<laughs> but why is that bad that it's always two years old? Why does love and affection have, have a, a causal sure. relationship with ent- matriculating into society? <laughs> I, I guess we're tapping into a greater issue of how I deal with love. But Right, uh, your psychopathy. Like, I, just, <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like there needs to be, I feel like I need to get something out of it and when I think about owning a pet, like I think about like um, uh, my therapist has always said, cause I want, I do want kids. And so my therapist has always said, well, if you have a kid, you have to have a dog first to see if you're able to like raise the dog. And Wait, that's what your therapist, your therapist told you, you have to get a dog before you have a child. Yeah. Because she doesn't think because she like... knows her. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was going to say. That's, that feels like a pretty harsh dogma. Like, oh, every person that has a child has to have a dog. And I think you're right, Natasha. The therapist is like, oh, no, no. Lucy needs to get a dog to make sure that she can actually <laughs> love another being <laughs> before she gets a child's welfare in her hands. <laughs> uh, so, yes, that's basically it. So, But when I think about spending money on a dog or any kind of pet, I think about all the other things I'd rather spend money on. And so, I mean, I have a twin brother who has a dog and he loves his dog. And we, for the longest time, had the same opinion. So who knows? Maybe my opinion would change. But I come from a place of like, I've always been allergic to cats. Right. I've, oh, I've gone to the hot emergency room because I almost died because I one time pet a kitten. And so I, <laughs> I've always been like... Oh, Sorry, I don't mean to laugh at you. Oh man, the the bitter irony, the bitter irony of being a lesbian who's allergic to pussy. I tell you, here's here's. Oh man, you, you like that or did you hate that? I don't know what I, I don't know what angle. I thought about making that joke for the last fifteen minutes and was like really unsure if I should. Is do that it. when you Moshe, when you whispered to me, Moshe? I got this one. No, I, I no. Here's no, what. Here's, it's very funny. Oh, thank you. Here's what I think. Uh, here's what I think. I, I, I think you have two different categories. First of all, I, I think you're awesome and a very interesting person. And Because my favorite character on <laughs> Star Trek The Next Generation was Commander Data, and he didn't feel anything either. But... Um, <laughs> But like you have you have two different categories of of thing here. One is your physical reality, which is that you're allergic to cats. That is your business and that is not negotiable. The other category is your uh sort of uh ambivalent or not really ambivalent, your your sort of uh unhappy relationship with people having pets as a philosophy. That <laughs> is not your business because the cat isn't okay. it's not your pet and and yes and you're un- not gonna have to spend your money on that cat right unfortunately if you move in with your girlfriend you're gonna have to deal with the fact that she has a pet oh and i have an idea just to interject very quickly when you do move in and you and let's say the shots do work you can have boundaries around around the cat maybe totally. they, maybe the cat doesn't sleep on your head you know like <laughs> right. maybe it's not allowed in the bed you know you might have to have some of that I I, I, uh, I have been offered that as a solution to people. And I will say that I think that that is, thank you. I think that is a good solution. However, the apartment that she lives in is extremely small. And so it's like if I set boundaries, essentially the apartment is a hallway with a room. And it's, uh, it's just like if I set boundaries as to where the cat can go, the cat can go into like a corner of the room. That right. So that doesn't sound good for your allergies. If if the house is that small and there's a cat, no, like I mean, spreading its ass all over the dishes or whatever he, they do. He, yeah, they've spread their ass on dishes. <laughs> Don't a, they like wipe their butts on tables wi- and people act like that's normal and they, then they like their pounce butts. on you? What? I've seen I've seen cats what? wiping their butts on tables. But here's the thing, Lucy and Natasha. No. 
every relationship every relationship is an equation every relationship is a, a mathematical equation in every relationship you're going to have to there's going to be things about your partner that you can't stand some of them are big some of them are small and you just have to do the math and figure out if your love for that person is strong enough to supersede your inconvenience for dealing with the part of them that you don't like like natasha has terrible terrible breath she always has right Stop and no i'm it. kidding but there's i'm just joking but there's parts of every relationship <laughs> that are like that like natasha can't stand the fact that i'm a bit of a slob but she's decided i hope that she in the equation of our relationship, dealing with my sloppiness is acceptable because what she gets out of the relationship is worth it. So you've got your physical reality and you can't negotiate with that. If you're unable to ever get better from your allergies and you're going to die if you're with this woman, then unfortunately you're going to have to probably walk away from the relationship. <laughs> and then hopefully she'll kill the cat. Yeah, and then you can come back and be reunited. But yeah. if you get it under control, well, then it's like, then you think of it like, well, what if she had a kid that was a fucking asshole? Like, I think about my stepdad all the time. He he married into my family, and I was a fucking piece of shit. And he was like, well, I love this woman enough that I'm going to stick around. It didn't mean he had to love me like I was his own kid, although he did a pretty good job of that, you know? So that that's the Aww. equation. But if it doesn't work, would you have any other advice? No, I mean sounds I, I wouldn't move in with a cat probably i would tell them i would tell them they're gonna have to get rid of it right or you do a thing where you go well this isn't going to work this situation but i've got my allergies under control enough that if we move into a bigger place together and then there'll be place where the cat can go place where i can go and that will create another sacrifice you'll have to sacrifice some more income in exchange for the love with this woman that is uh, has a pet like all of this these are all like equations that you have to crunch the numbers on and if you crunch the numbers and go well i actually can't afford to move into another place and if i live in this place with this cat i will die uh then probably you're not going to be able to be in that relationship but here's here's what i really okay. think here's my anecdote i heard a story about a guy who had such debilitating allergies he that uh this was on an episode of radio lab had such debilitating allergies that he got desperate and he heard somewhere that the reason we have such bad allergies is because we got rid of all the hookworms in our stomach there used to be this thing uh we used to all have too many hookworms and so we would get uh we would get sick from it so they created you know uh, modern medicine created a system where we got rid of all the hookworms but we got rid of too many and they were killing some of the allergies inside of us so this guy was like well i need a hookworm but they don't sell hookworms because they're disgusting. And he like went online and he looked up, where can I buy a hookworm? And they're like, you can't. Now, the way that you get hookworms is, you, is that you step in, in shit. And the reason that okay. we don't have hookworms anymore is because the, a Rockefeller invented the outhouse. He did an experiment where he saw how far the hookworms could crawl. And he realized that it was eight feet that they could crawl, and after eight feet, they died. So he created outhouses with eight-foot holes in them. And so that's why when you shit in an outhouse, it's an eight-foot drop for that doo-doo to hit the floor. So as a result of outhouses yeah. being created, the, the, the America rid itself of the hookworm. So uh, this guy was like, well, I need, I need a hookworm. And he's like, well, where can I find it? Well, he's like, well, we have to find a, a country where they don't use outhouses, but they actually use latrines and still have hookworms. So he fucking flew to a village in Africa, walked up to the villagers and was like, hey, where's your latrine? And they were like, uh, it's over there at the edge of town. And he walked into the latrine, pulled his pants up and tromped around in a big sloth of human shit in a village. Got a hookworm, came back to America. A year later, it was allergy season. Guess what? 
cured. You know what that man does for a living really? now? Yes, yeah, straight up. This is, is he, true. Is he your, your real father? <laughs> He's my real father. He's my cat. No, that man, he now sells hookworms on the internet. Do you know where he finds the hookworms? In Africa? His own shit. <laughs> he farms his own shit ah! for hookworms. So if all else fails and you and you need this love enough, maybe call that guy and see if he can send you some shitworms. Yeah, good luck. Good luck. Well, um, I have had hookworms. So. Oh, you're good. <laughs> you need, yeah. you're, you're in the money. <laughs> good luck, Lucy. Yeah. Thank you. Now we're calling Molly from Milwaukee. Hello. Molly from Milwaukee. That is me. How With are the you? snappy alliteration to boot. I'm good, <laughs> thank you. How are you both? Uh, we're great. We Hi, are Molly. Great. Hi. You know, I know that I'm talking to both of you and like psychologically I understand that on the phone, but I'm kind of nervous because I admire both of your work. So I'm kind of imagining that it's Mayor Cutie in like a therapist <laughs> outfit and I'm lying on a Shea lounge. I think that will make me feel less nervous uh, I like sharing that. my my. It's yeah. not it's not unlike what's happening right now. It is true. I mean, if you were here right now staring at the scene, Mayor Cutie is sort of splayed on the floor, fully prone, lying that's my here, chihuahua. listening to you. Well, that's one of three chihuahuas, but it's the one Natasha loves the most, and it's the only one of our dogs that has an IMDb page. So look it up if you're out there. We are keeping her alive for the public with a large amount of medicine. That's true. It says on IMDb, it says Mayor Cutie, actress. <laughs> I mean, actress slash, honestly, I know you say it takes a lot of medication, but I secretly suspect that maybe she's immortal. Oh, so. I love that idea. <laughs> Just don't tell her Pablo's immortal. Um, so, so tell us what's going on. So I wanted to share with you something that uh, kind of feels like a slutty therapist dilemma. I'm probably not the first woman or person to share this kind of issue, but it's something that my friends haven't experienced. I would love your hot take or just pithy witticisms on the topic, but I've had an issue in like pretty much many of the guys that I've dated over the last year, a uh, couple of years or so, will within... Often the first date, if not the first few hours to days of knowing them, it will be a situation where, you know, you'll start to, like, have a conversation, get to know someone. And I don't know what it is, but I'll start what I think is a very innocuous, like, surface-level, chit-chat-scale, low-intensity conversation. And within minutes, it's like the levees of male stoicism, like, and I am just being bombarded with a flood of this person's barely repressed trauma. Like, everything <laughs> from... Yeah, and I, like, I should put a disclaimer in there because I don't want to like come at this as though I'm trying to reinforce like really rigid gender norms or think that like men should bury all of their emotions under like a thick layer of irony and WD-40 and <laughs> sawdust or something, but it's like immediately, oftentimes like on the first date, we'll suddenly be talking about their teenage like their teenage girlfriend who had an abortion or the one girlfriend that cheated on them and that's broken them forever and they can never trust anyone or somehow paradoxically be monogamous with anyone or like <laughs> absentee dads. And this is all happening like 
<laughs> within a few hours of getting to know these guys. And I do not know why that is happening and why it's a pattern. And be so curious what your thoughts are. Well, I've got a theory right off the bat. I don't know if you know this or not, but you speak in, I would say, dense prose. <laughs> like you literally sound like a Philip Roth novel. And so probably these guys listening to you talk are like, You're oh, smarter than exactly. Them. They're like, oh, this woman is unbelievably smarter than me. I think she can solve all of my problems. Let me just begin. I mean, you ha- I right when you said under a thick layer of WD-40 and sawdust, I was about to t- start telling you about how my parents could never hear me cry because they were deaf. And I always wondered if that meant they didn't love me. I think that might be part. Are you, in fact, a therapist? Maybe it's a gift you have. I know. Yeah, you know, I should start invoicing. I'm actually a humanitarian immigration attorney, and <laughs> I work with survivors of trauma, mostly doing asylum cases. So oh, I think that's my day today, bread and butter. I got oh, it. So then you're on a date, and you're trying to keep it light. You're right. He's like, but an- right. it's so funny for you to feign empathy too, and it's like I've got real problems. You know, I haven't had a really good dating situation in over eighteen months. You're like, um. I just helped an undocumented family running from a Venezuelan cartel. I don't have a lot of compassion left. What? Here's what yeah. I think you should do. Yeah. I think you should, mm-hmm. first of all, come up with a good kind of segue that's like mm-hmm. you always use. And then try to start asking them questions like what what are some physical activities? Like think of things you guys can go do in your next date. Like maybe they play tennis or maybe they just try to try to like grill them about physical things and then you can like go do something like that the next time you're dating. So you're not like always like over dinner or at a restaurant. Then you can kind of see if you enjoy their company a little bit. She, but she's you're saying right oh, okay. you, you like that. I mean you're saying that this happens instantaneously. Well, I mean, she's going to have to deal with that. It's just people right. are like doing that to her. So she needs to have, like I said, maybe Moshe, you could come up with what the segue could be. Well, I just think I'm thinking right now, like what kind of person becomes a humanitarian immigration lawyer? It's a person who gets a law. Why aren't you in corporate law? Why aren't you in insurance law? Well, clearly, even though you went to and got a degree in the thing that can make you money if you want it to, you have an empathy gene that mm-hmm. said, no, I want to use this high level of education to help the world. So clearly there's something about you that is like, I am empathic. I am here to help. I I want to help people. And that's why I think she should take the focus off of conversation. Totally. Like go to a museum. Go, uh, like, go do physical things that like things you would do with someone who you oh. don't really like that much. Potentially just in <laughs> case it's like boring or whatever. And then you can kind of be with somebody but be like taking in some sort of thing or like I said, doing a sport or something. I like that idea. It's a real change of the yeah. subject. Not a hike. Not a hike. I like that. It's like an empathy preservation bait and switch. <laughs> like when the floodgates are about to open, like redirect to cycling. Yeah. <laughs> or there's another. Along like a scenic park. Uh, yeah. Another idea I had just right now is when they start telling you about their trauma, you just start regaling them with anecdotes about the worst stories you've heard as a humanitarian immigration (laughs) lawyer and just see if you can put their trauma into perspective conversation into like (laughs) just a full-blown like north pole yeah uh, ice bucket of awkward silence (laughs) they're like you know i think actually i don't have any trauma at all it turns out i like (laughs) but i like natasha's uh suggestion and i also think that like unfortunately like we all have a vibe like i have a vibe i make a lot of jokes Mm -hmm. all the time 
I'm sarcastic all the time. And there's a certain look on a person's face that I have be- I have been able to recognize over the years where they instantaneously, most people really like me because I am friendly and nice, but I make a lot of jokes and I tease people a lot. There's a certain kind of person that I've encountered over the years where I'm like, oh, immediately, oh, you do not like me. You are not feeling the kind of personality that I have because I'm a guy that pokes and you're a person that hates being poked. And I, rather than say, oh, I need to look inside and change myself, I've just thought, you know what? I, uh, I, I just, this is who I am and I have to just accept that. And I bring joy to people in other ways. So, so I'm hearing you and I'm thinking to myself, you just are a person who uh, is going to have people think that they can trust you and bring their pain to you, whether you like it or not. And there's something kind of beautiful about that because a lot of people out there are so cold and callous that nobody can trust them. And these guys are at least saying, wow, I feel like I can trust you. So you can kind of have your pick of the litter with these guys. You can manipulate them. You could do whatever you want with them. <laughs> you know, if I ever, if the like empath gene just gets snuffed out in Trump's America and I want to turn into a nefarious puppet master, I'll keep that in mind. But thank <laughs> you. That's, that's very wise. And that's, that brings me <laughs> a lot of clarity and uh, comfort about the situation. Well, I'm glad. And thank you for the hard work that you're doing with the uh, immigration. That, that's tough stuff. Mayor Cutie says hello. Yeah, Mayor Cutie says... Oh, my gosh. Mayor Cutie has a that's little... That's going to get me through. No, Mayor Cutie has a paw up, like a black power paw, and she's saying thank you for helping the undocumented all power to the people, all power to the people. Oh my gosh, that is the most inspiring image I can imagine. <laughs> At my next asylum hearing, I'm going to just imagine that ultra petite solidarity paw. And with Molly, in the, meantime, in the meantime, get a dog. Yeah. <laughs> is that right? Why? Oh, yeah. Why not? Okay. Excellent right. advice. Yeah. Good deal. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you both so much. Thank you. Bye. Good luck out there. Thanks. Bye. Okay, well, that was our second call, and unfortunately, our baby has stirred and has begun to scream. So let's play some two secrets quickly, riff on them, and then we got to go be parents to our child. Hi, Moshe, Natasha. Oh, my God, I love you guys. Okay, so my secret is that one time, so I'm an actress, and one time I was at this show at the Speeder Conference, and it was like this really, like, artistic avant-garde theater production about like these women who were being murdered and it was very dramatic but it was the literal worst show I've ever seen my whole life and it was winter so I had my big winter coat on over my lap so I just kind of reached down and like masturbated like four (laughs) times during this production yeah all right uh love you guys bye Oh, that's awesome. I love an idea of something so boring you get horny to just de-traumatize yourself. That happened to me the other night. What? When we were watching Old No Country for Old Men. <laughs> you started jerking off? No, I started to get really horny because I was just fantasizing about things. About anything but watching the movie? <laughs> or maybe Javier Bardem uh, punching, puncturing that guy's forehead with the uh, the cattle prod really got you going. I like this. I like this person. I like this secret. I'm turned on now, and I'm going to masturbate. 
Okay, folks, here's the deal. We started playing Secrets. It's my favorite part of the podcast, and it's yours as well. And then all of a sudden, we heard a loud thump upstairs and realized that for the first time, our baby catapulted herself out of her crib, jumped onto the floor. She's now down here. She's healthy and well. She's not even crying. She's actually looking at me right now, kind of going like, yeah, fuck you. I just got out of the crib. But I don't think we can play more Secrets. I think we have to do a shorter a shorter uh, episode. Uh, baby, say hi. Hey. <laughs> Uh, we gotta go. Uh, Tosh, love ya. I love you too.